my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide uh, this week. We're looking at biblical morality in the third millennium. Our big questions, marriage, where did it originate? Tomorrow, we're looking at what is the biblical role of family? On Wednesday, is biblical morality out of date, then sexual sin is forgiveness possible? And then finally, does Christ's teaching on morality really make sense? Our co-host today is Pastor Joseph Matichik. And Joseph's the Executive Secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. And welcome to you, Joseph. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to have you back again. Really appreciate uh, the time that you're able to spend with us, taking some time out of your really busy program. How do you take time out of your super busy program? Well, if I don't make the time, it just doesn't happen, Gary, and I guess this uh, gives me the opportunity to to make the time for it, and, and I do enjoy it, so... It helps. Oh, it's wonderful to have you with us. You know, it, it's it's so true. If, if we don't make time, in all probability, it's not going to happen. No, it? we never would do it. Yeah. Uh, what have you been doing over the weekend? Yeah, so uh, quite a busy weekend. Uh, on Saturday, I uh, went to church. I, I preached actually at the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church, Gary. Indeed, my, you did. My church. That's the My one. church, and that was greatly appreciated. So had a lovely time there and uh, caught up with folk there and uh, people are starting to appreciate the opportunity we have certainly in South Australia to get out and about a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and so uh, Sunday was uh, working in the yard and um, doing something a bit more physical, which was also a no, bonus. It's good, isn't it? Are you planning any celebrations post-COVID? We, uh, well, we're still waiting for the borders to open, Gary, to be, to be perfectly frank. We've got friends and family that we want to connect with, so we're... What, they're going to come in or you're going to go out? Both. Both? That's okay. right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that's good. Joseph, look, I'd love to be able to bounce uh, an article off you that I, uh, that I stumbled across a, a day or two ago. It was, it was released on just June 22 this, uh, this year, so it was only a matter of uh, four or five days ago. But this was written by not a Seventh-day Adventist uh, pastor, but a pastor of the Westside Christian Fellowship over in, in America. And the article was entitled, The Sin of Silence in the Pulpit. Now, this, this article really did challenge me. And I'd just love to get some feedback from, from you. Uh, the comments um, um, were made by Shane Eidelman. He's the lead pastor of the Westside Christian Fellowship in Southern California and the uh, Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network. Now, of course, he's not a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and uh, we appreciate that. But his comments to me appeared to be incredibly relevant. What he said was this. Over the last few decades, Americans have witnessed the destruction of the institution of marriage between man and a woman, the removal of God's word in most of the public arena, horrific racism, the blatant murdering of millions of babies. This is an indictment against America. And the, this is the part that really jumped out at me. And the pulpit is partially responsible. 
our silence speaks volumes. The pulpit regulates the spiritual condition of God's people which affects the nation. A lukewarm, sex-saturated culture and church simply reflects the lack of conviction in the pulpit as well as the pew. Then he noted... There are approximately uh, 364,000 churches in America. I didn't realize there were that many. 72% or 264,000 of them are, are liberal, meaning they really don't care about the Bible. According to exhaustive surveys, somewhere between 6,000 and 15,000 actually have a bona fide biblical worldview. That is, they see life through the lens of Scripture. Did you catch that? Nearly 72%, he says, of churches don't look to the Bible as their final source of authority and direction. Now, there's a bit more here, and we'll come to that in a moment, but Joseph, now, now tell us, do you think that the, his comments are valid when we look at the Christian world. What's your thinking? This is this is quite disturbing, really, Gary. That, that, that's particularly there that the um, the statement that nearly seventy two percent. I mean, that's 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 more than two thirds of, of of churches uh, not looking to the Bible as their final source of authority, uh, not having a, a biblical worldview, um, which which begs the question, well, what is their basis for uh, for their faith and for their practice, Gary? Mm. Uh, it is. It, it's concerning. And, and it, I guess it really illustrates the the incredible impact of of our society, of, um, uh, yeah, the influence of society and, and the values of our culture that are really impacting on on church, on church leaders, and uh, and, and Christianity, there we say it in general, um, uh, that that are eroding away uh, biblical views, Christian Christian views, and Christian Christian principles. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 certainly something that I'm conscious that. Uh just last week or the week before, we were talking about the increasing um, amount of biblical illiteracy that is actually in our in our society. And of course, here what we've got is certainly this particular pastor is putting that squarely at the feet of Christian leaders. Like, I mean, we're Christian leaders, you That's know, right. you and yep. me. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we? Uh, I mean. Do you think this applies at all? I mean, we're Seventh-day Adventist pastors. Does it apply to the Seventh-day Adventist church? I shouldn't ask that, should I? <laughs> we, we probably aren't immune. We wouldn't be immune, Gary. Uh, we are also influenced very much by by the culture and the and the yeah the culture that we that we live in uh, to, to speak plainly. Uh, uh, about Christian teachings, biblical teachings, does take some con- conviction and it takes courage, Gary, mm. uh, w- within our churches and within our culture, within our country. Uh, we, we in Australia have seen uh, just over the last 12, 18, 20, you know, 24 months or so, uh, some of the real challenges uh, from our culture uh, on, on some of our uh, long-held Christian teachings and Christian values um, mm. in, in matters of lifestyle. And so th- they've had an influence. And so to, to, to speak out against that does require a lot of courage. A lot, yeah, a lot of courage yeah, and conviction. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it, there would be some some impact. I, I don't know what, to what extent it would be in, in our in our circles or in in our denomination. But uh, yeah, it, it shows that people, um, yeah, people are seeking clarity, Gary. Uh, in this day and age of 
information overload can so you we think that there may be a uh, to me i suppose the conviction that's coming to me is that there is an increasing desire for people to be um uh, to, to receive clarity you know what does the scriptures actually say i mean that's the that's the sense that i'm getting certainly from grassroots yes Yes, yeah. People, uh, people do want to know. Yeah. People really want to know. I mean, despite the fact that there is so much information, there's information overload now, uh, thanks to thanks to the internet. Uh, that's too much, and so people really want to know. Just just tell tell it plain, tell it clear. What 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 is the biblical view on this? What 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 is God's will for us? And what, what what's what's he's expecting? So people are seeking clarity. People are seeking some. Directions, some simplicity on some of these, some straightforwardness and an openness and an honesty. I think, Gary, that's yeah, that's the other yeah, critical yeah. thing in, in all of this as well. Uh, there's been probably too much uh, times when uh, things have been sort of a bit veiled and uh, covered up, and so people w- wanted to be w- wanted to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, as I thought, as I'm listening to, as I listen to you share a little bit about that, it reminds me of the fact that. Uh, uh, yeah, we find that people of courage, people who have stood up, are the ones that have that have been, uh, yeah, really held up. Uh, and we have, you know, in Bible times, John the Baptist, who spoke out openly and uh, and and clearly. Um, and then the Bible does say to speak the truth in love. And, and I, think, and I, I, I appreciate think what you actually said yeah. there, because further on in this particular article, one of the statements that is made is this. There are few spirit-filled preachers that uh, that are left, and when one does arise, they're quickly labelled as right-wing extreme and narrow-minded. Do you think that that is indeed a danger? It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think because... Uh, yeah, uh, the, the influence, as we said, of, of society, and uh, and and um, if we're really honest, we, it, it's not comfortable, Gary. It's not. It's you know, no one really appreciates having to, uh, to, to in a sense, speak out against things when you know that it's not really popular. When it's when it's a difficult message to well, be when you to, to be received, and so yeah, and uh, yeah, to, to people will yeah, will be that kind of label, and you, you don't naturally warm to it. So it. Yeah, the biblical prophets actually, you know, when they spoke out about the issues in their generation, I'm so conscious of what actually happened to them. I mean, <laughs> as we go through the scriptures, I mean, well, what do we find happening to the prophets who spoke out against the evils of their particular generation? It was not a comfortable existence for them, uh, to say the least. Yeah, 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 they 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 were imprisoned, they were they were tortured, they were yeah given a, a very very difficult time. Uh, they suffered for it, and uh, and so it wasn't easy at all. And so to, to speak the truth is not easy and it's getting harder and harder yeah 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 joe so i really appreciate what you've actually shared there i mean uh, this week we're actually dealing with a really challenging subject we're dealing with the scriptures and morality um this is a really challenging area and i'm just so conscious that i believe that the scriptures are incredibly relevant for the day and the age in which we are living today, and particularly in speaking on this particular subject. And Scripture does speak on this subject, Gary, and I think as the week goes on, yeah, we'll really discover that. And it's a topic that we probably have been a little bit silent, a bit, a bit shy. We've kind of maybe been even a little bit embarrassed, Gary, to, yeah. to actually speak out. Yeah. And I think in that void, though, uh, society and the culture has come in 
and 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 filled that void for for a lot of people, and particularly for the young, some of the younger generation who've then taken their their their, their cues from uh, for what's from what society promotes and shares. Yeah, no, that is so true, and I think so powerful what what you've actually shared there. Let's come to to some music. This is uh, Christian Badal. Find us faithful. You know, this is our prayer for uh, each each of you. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road And those who've gone before us line the way Cheering on the faithful Encouraging the weary Their lives a stirring testament To God's sustaining Not only for the prize But as those who've gone before us Let us leave to those behind us The heritage of faithfulness Passed on through godly
Hello my good friends, this is Pastor Gary. I'm daily host of Drive Time. I'm excited to be able to share with you a wonderful opportunity commencing Monday, July 6. I've invited Nick Creta and the Drive Time team to deal with big questions of prophecy. This series answers some of the most profound and relevant issues that are impacting the Christian world in the early third millennium. Who is going to control the world? How will the world end? Who is the Antichrist and has he already come? This is your opportunity to see what Scripture reveals of a war that is hidden to most of humanity. The first presentation commences at 5pm South Australian time and 5.30 on the East Coast on Monday the 6th of July. This is a series that you just must hear. That promises to be a fantastic little series. I'm actually going to be taking some long service leave for uh, for a number of weeks and uh, Nick and the Drive Time team are going to be leading that particular series. It is a fantastic series. It actually deals with the big questions of prophecy. Things that you've often wondered about is are going to be presented on that particular series. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Uh, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Pastor Joseph Matter. And Joseph's the Executive Secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Uh, this week we're talking biblical morality in the third millennium. And today we're asking, what is the origin of marriage? You know, it's a, it's a huge industry. And even today it remains a major rite of passage. Did you know that uh, according to ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics Marriage Data, in Australia, the marriage industry is served by over 88,000 civil celebrants. Did you realise there were that many? But only 24,000 ministers of religion. That says something about who's doing all the marrying. October and November... Are the most popular months for marriage in Australia with over 12,000 in each of those two months. Poor old June only gets a slightly over 6,000 weddings. If you're being married this month, then you're in part of the real, the real minority. Uh, All up. This is 2017 data. There were 112,954 marriages in Australia. You see, marriage apparently remains popular. Significantly, what I, what really jumped out at me is the first data on same-sex marriage that was collected from the 9th of June. 2017, when amendments to the Marriage Act came into effect, through to the 30th of June 2018. That's a period of about three weeks longer than than six months. During that period, there were 3,149 uh, same-sex uh, weddings, or 60, um, 6.7% of the 46,000 census-recorded same-sex couples of the same-sex couples that had been recorded by the previous census 6.7% of them chose to marry in the six months uh, following the legalization of same-sex marriage i didn't realize that the average marriage in australia lasts for 12 years in, uh, 12 years joseph isn't that it's not very long is it no it's not it's uh yeah it it it, it just shows you that it's it's 
yeah, it, it, it's a bit unstable, yeah. It does, it does come to that conclusion, doesn't it? You know, it, it does actually beg the question, why bother? Why not just uh, live together? You know, what many don't realise is that the Judeo-Christian faith has long understood the institution to be found, to be a foundational uh, pillar of religious belief and practice. But Joseph, help us out. Where did marriage originate? You know, and what does the origin of marriage tell us about the institution? Help us out. Yeah, thank you, Gary. Uh, great questions and uh, a great topic to really consider. Really, really relevant. And what you've just shared there just shows to us uh, how relevant this is, and you know, and it's quite significant. This is this is a really contemporary issue that we're that that, that we're facing. Um, the, the number of marriages and uh, the how long that how long they last. It's it's interesting when we when we talk about marriage, Gary. Uh, to trace the origin of marriage, we actually need to go to the very beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. To creation, uh, right back to uh, the the first chapter of the Bible. In, in fact, Genesis chapter one, uh, we uh, we find there uh, that marriage um, is actually one of the two gifts that God gave to humanity. Uh, one of two institutions that that He set up. Uh, the other one is actually. The Sabbath, the 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 the, uh, the weekly day of rest, uh, and it's interesting that both of those institutions deal with relationships. Gary, the Sabbath, uh, of course, is talking about. Uh, Humanity uh, resting um, in, in the work that God has made for us. We remember God as our Creator, and we we rest. Uh, marriage is a relationship between, as we will see, um, be, between humans. That, and that, and what God. more beautiful gift could God give to a couple that had everything? They own the entire world. And what do you give someone who owns everything? Well, here we've got uh, the Almighty God turns around. And what we're going to find, I think, in the in the book of Genesis, is that God actually gives some gifts, and the gifts are gifts of relationship. Exactly right. Yeah, and it, it I guess, Gary, that gives us a bit of an insight into God Himself. God is a God who wants to have a relationship. Uh, he 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 created us for relationship. He created us as social beings, and that's that's very much connected to this mm. idea that we're going to look at here. Let's begin by reading Genesis one, reading from Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six. Uh, now this is this is after the account has listed how God created the world in six days, all that He made, and then we come to the final thing that God creates, and it says here in verse twenty six, then God said, "Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground." So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Mm. That's that's significant, there, what we find, Gary. We find that uh, it, it, God created mankind, as, as, as it puts it here in, in this, this version that I've read here. Others, it just says man. It, it's the generic term meaning humanity. Yeah. Uh, but, but he says that he created both male and and female, uh, both male and female are created in God's image, uh, and that's that's significant. In, we have here the two genders, male and female, uh, and then God said there in verse twenty-eight, He blessed them and He said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." 
and, or increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, uh, and, and so on. And then he gives them a diet there, verse 29. We talked, touched on this um, in a previous uh, series of programs. And then uh, we see that when, in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Mm. God creates humans as the crowning act of his creation. But he creates them. Uh, to me, the thing that stands out to me, he creates them in two genders. That's right. You know, to, to me, that's a huge challenge to the world today because there is this uh, debate out there that simply that simply is saying, hey, there's actually more than two genders. And yet, as I come back to the Word of God and the history of creation, what I find is that God has actually created humanity, but he's created humanity as Male and female. That's right. Yeah. And both are in his image, Gary. Mm. Both mm. male and female. Uh, both genders are, are good. Uh, both genders are equal in being and worth. But they're not identical in person, Gary, clearly. Um, they, they, rather, they are complementary. Uh, so a world made up of either sex would be incomplete. We need both male and female. That's how God. That's how God. God made it. In other words, man as male is actually, according to this passage, incomplete without female. That's right. That's exactly right. In fact, in fact, we're going to read that in just a moment. It actually, it actually states that, and uh, uh, we could almost say vice versa too. Uh, we, we need each other, mm-hmm. uh, and so. It's interesting, Gary. When we come to the next chapter, Genesis yeah. chapter yep. two, it it, it, give, it sort of expands on 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 the um, the story of creation and here the setting in in the beginning in this garden in the Garden of Eden as as it's called, uh, where where God placed placed the first humans. Uh, reading here in Genesis uh, chapter two, uh, we find these words in verse eighteen, Genesis two eighteen, the Lord God said, "It is not good." For the man to be alone. It's interesting. This is the first time there is some <laughs> indication of something that's not good. Yeah. Um, when you read through Genesis chapter 1, and you'd be probably aware of this pattern, Gary, yeah. uh, that it, it goes through after each day of creation, God saw what it was made and it was, was good. very good. Yeah, it goes yeah. through day yeah. after day and finishes on day 6 with very good. Now we find... This first statement of something that's not good, and what's not good, it says here, is for man to be alone. And then God says, I will make a helper uh, suitable suitable for him. Uh, if we read on to verse 9, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Interesting. It gives a bit of a description here of what mm. one of the first roles here for was for this man, Adam, the first man. Verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. Comparable to him. Compa- yeah. So amongst, amongst all the animals, it, it, we find here that there, there's no one that's comparable, uh, that's suitable for, for, for Adam. For the man. Um, 
and and prior to that we saw the statement there where it said that it's not good for man to be alone so uh, it required required a companion but adam is actually recognizes his need there you know the, i imagine him looking at all these these animals he sees you know two giraffes two elephants he sees you know the, he sees the animals coming together in pairs yeah. um but after naming them all hey you know there's something there's something missing here that's right there's something missing there, and uh, what we find now is, and here we find, I guess, if you like, at, um, Gary, uh, verse from verse 21, uh, a, an expansion of what we read back in in chapter one, verses 26 to 28. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman. From the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So what we find here, Gary, is is a number of significant things that we've just read. Uh, essentially, this is a description of the first marriage, a man and a woman, um, and how God created them, and uh, and and how they are to, to come together. So, uh, f- first point to make: marriage is God's idea. Yeah. It, it, it's part of his plan. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he designed it. Mm-hmm. He designed for man and woman uh, to be together, to, 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 yeah, to, 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 be, to be together, to, to be one. Uh, we also recognized here that uh, marriage is established here by God for our good. It, it said there that um, it wasn't good for man to be alone, so I'll make a helper f- suitable for him, mm-hmm. and he creates the woman. Uh, so marriage is a good thing, Gary. Uh, and that God's intention is that we might, both male and female, benefit from this relationship. Now, it's true that sin has come into the equation, and there's been a huge breakdown in what is actually uh, God's ideal. But God God is hoping, God was wanting to benefit both male and female by this particular relationship. Exactly right. Yeah. And uh, we, we also noticed, Gary, that um, uh, whatever, yeah, this is a gift from God. He gave it right in the beginning, right in, at creation there in a perfect environment. So it, it is God's, not only is it God's ideal, but it's actually, a be- it's for our goods, for our best. Mm-hmm. God only has given us things that are for our ideal. Uh, we saw that um, with the diet that God gave. It, it's, it, it's proven nowadays. Uh, that it's the best diet, for example, yeah, Gary. Yeah. Um, and uh, a day of rest as a Sabbath is for our benefit. So marriage as well is is, is for our benefit. Mm-hmm. The third thing we notice here, so, so number one, marriage is God's idea, Gary. Number two, uh, we find that it's it's for our good. Number three, we find that marriage is between a man and a woman. Yeah. Very clear. Uh, and and the way that the account describes it of how God went about it, it, it quite a quite a t- a touching, quite a quite a, a significant uh, way in which God did it. There was a number of ways God could have done it, mm-hmm. but the Bible tells us that He took a rib from the man and He creates creates a woman. It's 
it, it, so we find there something very significant. It is between two persons, marriage is between two persons equal in worth, but with different function. That functions. With God taking one of Adam's ribs, uh, we find something very significant. As, as, uh, as one author puts it this way, Eve was created from a rib taken from the side of Adam, signifying that she was not to control him as the head, nor to be trampled under his feet as an inferior, mm-hmm. but to stand by his side as an equal to be loved and protected by him. Mm. End quote. Mm. That's that's a powerful quote, isn't it? Because what it does is it gives uh, it gives status to both. That's right. That's exactly right. And so uh, th- that that unfortunately, Gary, down through the ages, um, and even still in our day and age, in in, in you know, lots, lots of ways, isn't the case, Gary. Yeah. Sadly, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, at, uh, through various ways, um, men have. Uh, sort of assumed more than what what and what this they is need what to, sin has it, done, isn't it? Right. You know, sin exactly has resulted right. in, if you like, in too many cases, uh, women being trampled underfoot, and, right. and unfortunately, as the um, physically um, weaker sex, that is reality. What has actually occurred, mm. uh, but. That's not God's design. It's not God's design. We we clearly see with that be- the touching imagery of a rib. It's meant to be yeah. They're meant to be equal. Uh, it, it but complementary. They're different. Complementary. Yeah. Uh, male male and female. From this diversity of male and female, God brings then a unity, a oneness that we call marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, ever since, marriage has been the foundation of the family and the foundation of society. In other words, marriage itself actually has biblical and spiritual roots. Exactly right. Exactly right. Which, which is really, really significant when we look at uh, the idea of of, of marriages, uh, civil civil marriages, and things like that. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself too much, Gary. But, but <laughs> we're, we're going to come to this one. This has, this has real yeah, implications for, for our does. for our society. Uh, now, notice just back here in, in, in this passage something else, Gary. There, there, there's a process. The Bible, according to the Bible, marriage involves a, st- a three step process. Verse twenty three and verse twenty four. Um, well, particularly verse 24, sorry. Verse 24, a man will leave his father and mother, uh, be united, or some Bible says cleave. It's a nice nice way of, of understanding it. Cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So notice the three, three-step process. There's a leaving. Leaving involves you know, leaving your parents, le- leaving your family of origin. Um, cleaving, cleaving to a new person, cleaving to your spouse. And then the third step is that there will be then a one flesh, a special, uh, special, special intimate union. Uh, leave, then cleave, and then you have, have, have the one flesh. Mm. Uh, now, you might think, well, okay, what's the significance here? Uh, well, the significance is that we, we find then that marriage uh, symbolizes a, a very special bond. To, to, it's two persons who share everything they have. Not just their bodies, not just their material possessions, but their thoughts, their feelings, their joys, their sorrows. This is a coming together of two minds, uh, not just two bodies. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm, you know, somebody said a long time ago, and I think it's so true, is that a person's uh, biggest sexual organ is actually their brain, uh, not any part of the anatomy. And, you know, to me, when somebody said that, I thought that really makes a great deal of sense and what marriage is is a coming together of two 
intelligent people into a commonality. That's exactly right. And so it, it's a coming together. It becomes a, it becomes a bond, Gary, and you, you've touched on it. I mean, one flesh, that, that, that the two becoming one flesh. Yeah, absolutely. Part of that is uh, sexual intimacy, Gary, clearly. Uh, you know, that, 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 that is part of it. But, but so therefore, the other aspect there is that sexual intimacy, Gary, is also part of God's plan. You know, sex has sort of been a bit of a, a, a bit of a. You know, it's been sword. pushed to the side in the church, oh, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But but we we need to be clear. The Bible actually uh, mentions to us that that God created that within the confines of a committed relationship between a, has, a husband and a wife. For example, there, I mean, we have, for instance, um, uh, the book Song of Solomon, which which is quite a uh, an expression of the union, sexual union between a man and a woman. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 says in verse 4, marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. So it shows us that sexual relations are part of God's design but it is within a committed marriage relationship between a man and a woman. In other words, what the scriptures do is actually put down some some boundaries and says, if you want to have a happy, if you want to have a um, a, a relationship that is, grows and develops, these are actually the boundaries to function within. They are boundaries, Gary, because... The sexual union, that one flesh, through sexual union, there is a bond that's created. Mm. That's, and, and, you know, if people are interested, they can reference, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Gary. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 12 onwards, it, it, it talks about th- that aspect, how that sexual you know, relation has created a bond, a, 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 a really, really deep kind of a bond. That's why it is to be reserved for a marriage relationship, yeah. Um, yeah. A, a, a concept that a lot of there I say younger people don't you know don't possibly always un- understand fully when they when they think it's it's being uh, yeah, it's being restricted, but it's not there. There's a real real purpose for it. So um, yeah, so that, that's that's what we find in 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 the book of Genesis. Now, Gary, when we come to the New Testament, we find that Jesus Himself. Reiterates the biblical origin of marriage. Now, this is actually a really significant point that you know many people who are unfamiliar with the scriptures actually don't realise this. That it's actually Christ who picks up this Genesis story and he actually uses it in one of his discussions. He does. It's in Matthew nineteen. Is 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 one of the, those statements? Matthew chapter nineteen. Uh, Jesus here says in verse four, "Haven't you heard that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female?" and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And that's almost a word-for-word quote from Genesis chapter 2. Yeah. Uh, then Jesus adds, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then he says this, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Gary, here we find the, the, that, that marriage is meant to be permanent. And Jesus is actually picking up the Old Testament and he's putting the, it's into spiritual foundations. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that marriage itself between two people, between a male and a female, has actually got spiritual foundations. It does, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, and, and so marriage is sacred. 
Yeah. Marriage is actually sacred. It's not just a civil institution, Gary. It is sacred because it is God who joins a man and a woman, not mere human words, or dare I say it, even pieces of paper or, or government legislation. Mm. Mm. And uh, that, the implications of that are really, really significant. Yeah. Um, now, Jesus said these words actually in response to a question about whether uh, in verse 3 here, in Matthew 19, verse 3, some, some Pharisees came to him to test Jesus. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then in response to that, Jesus says, have you not read what was said in the beginning? What Jesus is doing is he's pointing people back to God's ideal, to when God set up marriage in, in the beginning, in, in Eden. Uh, he reiterates the, can we say, the Edenic origin of marriage. Yeah. In other words, the, 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 the biblical foundation that, that God set up in I the love beginning. this because what it means is that, number one, Jesus believed in creation. Jesus was a creationist, number one. Number two, he believed in relationship. Yes. Um, then he believed in the marriage relationship, and he believed in the permanence of this relationship between male and female. To me, that's that's fairly fairly powerful material uh, when we come to the scriptures. It is, and and we found Gary that that really is again. Uh, that's that's the ideal. See, it, it is when we understand it in that context that that we we find that well, it spares us a lot of hurt, Gary. You know yeah. that that union that that, that comes through marriage uh, between a man and a woman is to be preserved for that because. It, cause, it, it creates a bond that if we, if we treat it lightly and we, we go off uh, having those relations with, with other people, we, we, we're creating these various bonds which then we, we don't stay part of, and that's where we have hurt. And, 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 and this is where we're going to come to later in the week because I'm just so conscious that what you've just said there is so true and it sums it up so well because the very moment we, we come to the point of moving beyond God's boundaries, what happens is that hurt and pain and suffering so actually kick in, kick in because I, I'm conscious myself of the number of people in my, um, in my ministry that I've had to minister to who have been the uh, who have seen adultery in their marriage. And I'm conscious of the hurt mm. and the pain and the suffering that comes upon the entire family as a result of that. And what God has done is put some boundaries in place. But we're going to come to these. But I'm taking taking your spot there. Yeah, and the boundary is that it's between a man and a woman uh, that they are committed to each other. And, and Jesus here is is responding to the the, the thought that that uh, divorce. Uh, can occur for any kind of uh, any kind of reason uh, or any kind of incompatibility, uh, but the key here is uh, when Jesus is pressed on this, as he is in verse seven, Matthew nineteen, verse seven. Why then they ask him? Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Notice Jesus' answer. Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So he constantly is referring back to the experience that's recorded in the book of Genesis. That's right. Back to the ideal. Back to the ideal. He acknowledges, yes, divorce has been allowed. But that doesn't mean that that's now the ideal. Yeah. He's pointing back to the what the ideal is. Uh and uh, and whilst God's ideal is that marriage is to be permanent, 
we recognize, and you've touched on this a bit before, Gary, sin has come into this world. We, we do live in a sinful world. Uh, and so the ideal isn't always possible. It's not, not always fully attained. Uh, for example, when we're speaking specifically, I guess, of marriage, uh, if there is abuse, if there is violence or some, you know, some serious matters such as those, uh, God's plan isn't for uh, uh, you know, uh, th- that to be uh, perpetrated, for that, for that to be maintained. In other words, what understand? we've actually got here is um, God has got a wonderful ideal, but the problem that we're facing, and this is the issue that we struggle with, is that sin has actually come in and has actually ruined uh, God's perfect creation. So we're going to have to look at this issue and say, well, what is God's design for us given there is certain sin that has impacted the marriage relationship. Exactly right. And so uh, the, the emphasis there needs to be on uh, helping helping protect marriages, helping helping marriages to be to be sustained, to to, to be supported uh, because that that's that, that that that's that's God's ideal. Uh, even it, despite sin coming in, even though sin has come in and it's affected it, uh, and and there there I say that there are then other variations of relationships or uh, other expressions of morality, uh, that isn't to be seen as an excuse then or, or justification. Well, that's just the way it's got to be. Remember what Jesus said? It was not so in the beginning. It's not part of God's ideal. Yeah. And, and so, of course, he was talking about divorce in that particular case, because he was referring, of course, back to the Old Testament example. And uh, in the Old Testament, uh, divorce was allowed for certain reasons, but it's significant that Christ, in referring to them, said it only happened because of the hardness of your hearts, because there's something wrong with your heart. Moses actually allowed uh, that to occur. Um, And yet, to me, the thing that I'm so conscious of here, it's so important, however, that we understand what the biblical foundations are for marriage, because what I'm so conscious of is that the closer I'm able to get to the biblical foundations, the more successful a relationship I'm likely to have, the uh, the, the less that I'm likely to struggle with pain and suffering and heartache because I am conscious that this area of relationship is the area, Mm. in fact, where there is more pain and suffering and heartache than probably in any other area in this uh, in this entire world. And by looking at God's boundaries, we can say, hey, how can we avoid the pain that comes as a result of sin? Exactly right. Yeah. And and Gary, before I sort of draw to uh, all together, if I can, um, just to um, just just to I guess to to, to elaborate, and, and that is um, we need to also be mindful that we we do live in a complex world, and situations don't always work out. Yeah. And we, we we want people to understand that God is the one that ultimately understands, and that that God is the one that. Um, People can turn to and, and yeah. find comfort. So, uh, yeah, if a, a marriage hasn't worked out for someone, we still want people to, to to understand and appreciate the fact that that God loves and God understands. Yeah. And um, and uh, yeah, so we just need to be mindful. Yeah, not everyone's married. Certainly, not everyone has been able to experience a happy marriage, for example. And so, yeah. there's a level of sensitivity there and humility to understand that ultimately God is the one that we are to 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 trust and and to turn to, and that, that a vital can, and a vital and important point that you do actually make there. Yeah. Um, Joseph, keep, uh, yeah. you keep going. So what we've seen, Gary, then, is that um, 
from the Bible, Gary, marriage is a divine institution. Mm. Uh, it, God set it up. That That's how it originated. Number two, we've seen that marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, thirdly, we've seen that marriage is a permanent union because it's what uh, God has brought together. Mm. Um, it, it, is, it is sacred, Gary. It is sacred, um, which is something that is, goes beyond uh, the, the courts of this land or, or um, uh, yeah, words expressed between people. Uh, the fourth thing we've discovered is that sexual intimacy is to be reserved for marriage because that is the, the one flesh expression. And then what we've noticed is that Jesus reiterates the, the, the origin of marriage as being what God set up in the very beginning mm. in creation. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that so many, uh, you know, Jesus' words are often quoted in many areas, but this is one where that, that particular uh, wisdom that comes from Christ is often overlooked and it's not, um, it's not accepted in the same way that certainly other words of Christ are, are accepted. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. But look, just let, tell me, tell me something else here, Joseph. I'm t- conscious our time is actually disappearing. Um, what, what we've, pres- what you've presented here is that marriage is seen as having clear spiritual foundations. Now, Christ certainly accepted that. Yet today, marriage is largely regarded as a secular institution. Do, do you think that undermining the undermining of the sacred in marriage, because now it's generally regarded as a pretty much a civil contract only, do you think that the undermining of the sacred in marriage has somehow impacted on the uh, marriage institution? Well, Gary, it's interesting at the out, at the at the outset when you introduced this, you you shared that that what. Uh, there's a the far major, greater majority of, of marriage celebrants nowadays are civil celebrants, Gary. Uh, you you might recall, and it uh, wasn't that long ago, wasn't that long ago, Gary, when uh, to be married, you could only really be married by a, a church person, a, a church minister, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a clergyman, so yeah. to speak. That is certainly not the case now in Australia. Church weddings, um, even less weddings in a church for whatever that might mean, uh, are are becoming less and less. That, to me, Gary, is all uh, a a result of the fact that uh, our society is not recognising that marriage is actually a divine institution. And and is actual sacred by by right. You know, one of the things I suppose I'm very conscious of is that in our world we actually have many civil contracts. When I buy my house, mm. I'm actually entering into a into a civil contract with somebody else. I'm buying and selling on a, on a civil level. Uh, do you know at the present time, marriage in many cases, I suggest to you, has almost been, or do I have this wrong? Is almost as a civil contract is almost at the same level, the same level of contractual obligation as what my house is when I buy it. Whereas to me, if in fact this is a divine institution, the con- the contract is actually far above the level of the civil. Do I have? Do you understand what I'm sharing here? Do you think that you know that has any validity? 
Well, I, I believe then that probably is one of one of the reasons. I stress one one of the reasons why marriages don't last so much as as uh, perhaps uh, once they did. One, one of the reasons because. Uh, uh, there is a lesser of an understanding and appreciation recognition that marriage is this divine institution. It's not just a commitment to live with this, you know, to unite with this other person, but there is a, if you like, a... a You're actually asking the Lord's blessing. Because, yeah. because when, when yeah. like, you and me are both marriage, marriage celebrants, and uh, uh, Joseph, when your... Um, Preparing because we actually sit down with people before they uh, they marry and, and we talk to them. And Joseph, as a married celebrant, what do you share with the people uh, when when you sit and prepare people uh, for the marriage institution? Yeah, well, apart from the you know, the obvious things where we look at their, their family of origin, their background, and their communication that's skills, right. all that, yes. that's right. Yeah, their, yeah. Their, their their leisure activities, etc., their interests, roles, and things like that. Uh, I, I stress also the fact that um, over and above that there is the spiritual dimension there, there is the fact that they are ultimately also responsible to God not just to each other mm. uh, and so there's that there's that I'm going to say almost like a third element in it that that makes their marriage something that they need to understand is not just a matter of the two of them living together or, or relating to each other um, it's it's a very very important point and and and, and therefore it, it means that marriage is to be taken actually very seriously Gary mm-hmm. um, and and I think that that element has probably been lost in our society it's it's if I can use sort of the, the phrase easy come easy go you know yeah, uh, yeah. yeah people just en- enter into it you know, somewhat lightly uh, and uh, therefore don't see so much of a re- obligation to to stick it out in a sense you know Joe I really appreciate what you've just actually said there one of the things I'm really conscious of is that certainly when someone comes to me and says hey look you know would you would you marry us as a, as a marriage celebrant as a minister of religion uh, one of my first well my first question to them after I've sat down I actually do a little bit of a um, a, a quiz with them to, to start with we have a lot of fun uh, together but one of the first questions I ask is why have you asked me to marry you, and by that I don't mean uh, because hey, do you like me? I don't don't mean that. By this I mean, why have you asked me as a minister of religion to marry you, as opposed to the marriage celebrant down the road? And because I want them to dig into that, why me? Because you see, there are some things that I'm actually going to put on them that the marriage celebrant down the road won't. Mm. Uh, see, I, I, I'm going to share things with them and say, hey, did you realise, and I really appreciated the way you expressed this, that marriage is actually a three-bonded cord. Mm. Uh, mm. And I think this is so powerful because what it does is this is where the blessing of God really does come from. When a person realises, when two people realise that, hey, this is me and a lady and Jesus Christ himself because by through the gift of the Holy Spirit we're invited to actually come into a triple braided union mm. and to me it's that union that actually uh, ensures the uh, the success that that ensures the success of marriage when two people are able to function with the mind of Christ a marriage has a much higher probability of being able to succeed, or at least it should have. <laughs> it should have. It should. It should. And, and, and recognizing that God is there 
for both the husband and the wife, for the male and the female, uh, because he instituted it and he, he, he wants to see them happy. He wants to see them grow and flourish. And that, that, that's God's ideal. You, you, you see when, when a, uh, two people, lives do unite, they then have the opportunity to have that rest of their lives ahead of them mm-hmm. of growing, uh, growing together into this union, Gary. And, yeah. uh, and that's a, that's a special bond. And, uh, Interestingly enough, Jesus used that to illustrate that, that relationship that he wants to have between Jesus and his church, Gary. Indeed, indeed. And that, and that is so important to realize. Mm. It's a wonderful analogy. Yeah. Joseph, I'm conscious that we must finish. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. We want to say thank you for the privilege of marriage. Lord, thank you for the beauty of relationship. Lord, thank you for your design in this relationship. Lord, I'm conscious that sin has impacted so much of this relationship. Lord, I just pray that you might come into our relationships. May they be more, may they be stronger, more powerful. Uh, Lord, may you uh, be the great healer where there has been damage. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you might take control in this area and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. Amen. Well, my friends, it uh, it is it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you for joining uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Joseph Matichik on Drive Time. Big Q and A. Please join us tomorrow when we ask what is the biblical role of family. Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, "I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives." So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.